0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: We've been teaching a series for the last number of weeks that we've entitled Financial Freedom for the Last Days. And we've been using Isaiah 55 as a text scripture, a beginning point. And we want to do that again this morning. We want to start reading in verse 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord... "...while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon." Now, folks, please understand that he's talking about returning unto God has something to do with what you think. Because he says that a part of returning unto the Lord... Is for the wicked man to change his thoughts and his ways. So that's the context that he's talking about. Changing your thoughts and your ways in order to come back to God. Then he goes further and he says, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've talked about this before and so we'll just mention it very briefly here. There's only one of two things that, only one of two ways that this can be interpreted. Either God is saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways and you're never going to know them. So I just want you to know that I'm great and you're not. Or he's saying, my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. So learn to think my thoughts and learn to operate in my ways. Those are the only two options. Which one is it? Well, let's see what he says. He's either bragging on himself or he's trying to help us. So he says verse ten, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, that means void of power, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. The Bible says, God said about his own word, He said, My word accomplishes and prospers things that I send it to do. Now, our series about financial freedom is, is designed for one and only one thing, and that is so that we can learn to think God's thoughts about finances. So that we can learn to think God's thoughts concerning money, concerning resources for the last days. This morning I want to talk to you about the God that's more than enough. Genesis chapter 17. Um, little backstory here. God appears to Abraham in, in chapter 12 and says, Abraham, follow me from your father's house, the land, that I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. That's a pretty nondescript introduction, really. I mean, Abraham's never talked to God before. God's never talked to him before. God just shows up and says, and I don't know how he does. I mean, it would it would seem to me that he wouldn't appear. I mean, this has got to be the Lord Jesus talking to him. Um, Jesus is always the one that executes the plan of God. And so uh, Old Testament and New Testament alike. So this has got to be Jesus that appears in some way and talks to him. But how did he do it? How did he get Abraham's attention? He couldn't have showed up just like some other guy. There had to have been something supernatural that the Bible didn't tell us about so that he would give um, some kind of credibility to what's being said. At least uh, it had to be supernatural enough for him to know that this is a real world choice. Well, he does. He does what uh, he does what the Lord instructs him to do. And chapter 13 says that Abraham became very rich in silver and cattle and gold. Now, chapter 14 goes a little bit further and tells us about how that um, um, Abraham and Lot, because they grow and increase, and, and Lot is Abraham's nephew, because they increase so much they have to separate. And so Abraham says, okay, Lot, there's no reason for your servants to be fighting with my servants. There's not enough... Uh, grazing land for all of our herds and flocks and stuff. So you choose which way you want to go, and I'll take what's left. Folks, a man of faith always takes what's left. Abraham had every right to say, okay, here's how it's going to be. I'm the one with the blessing. You're just tagging along for the ride, so here's what I want. He didn't do that. People that are blessed of God don't have to impose their own way or their own will upon other people. So he says to Lot, you pick what you want, and I'll take what's left. whole so Lot looks over and says, oh, there's some really cool cities over there, Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll go there. You can pretty well see that Lot was not blessed because of his own intelligence, but because he was riding along with his uncle Abraham. Time goes by, and there are four kings that come against the cities of Sodom, or comes against the city of Sodom. Doesn't say anything about tomorrow. We can assume, but we don't know for sure. But there are four kings that come out against the city of Sodom and overtake them and take all the people and take all the stuff from the cities. Abraham hears about this and takes 315, 318, something like that, of his own servants, Guys that were born in his own house. That just means people of fighting age. And he goes against these four kings. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us so, but you've got to assume that Abraham is really outnumbered here. Wouldn't you assume so? I would assume any one of the kings to have more than 300 soldiers. But at any rate, you got four of them together. Abraham whips them all. Gets all the people, takes all the stuff, and he's on the way back and he meets Melchizedek and he offers tithes to Melchizedek. And uh, the king of Sodom comes out and tries to make a deal. And the king of Sodom is a, is a type of the devil. This is the way the devil always tries to, to, uh, to work his ways against us. He'll take what God has promised or given to bless us and try to negotiate a deal with us. So he says, you take all the stuff and give me the people. And Abraham answers and says, no, I'm not going to take anything. This is stuff that was taken from the city of Sodom. And so this is where all this came from. So he says, I'm not taking anything from you because I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich. So what do we know then? We know Abraham is rich and we know that God made him rich. And he doesn't want anybody to have the opportunity to say that something else other than God made him rich. That's the kind of attitude, folks, that you're going to have to have if you're going to walk in the blessings of God. There are no cut to corners and we'll say this was God. It doesn't work like that. You don't get rich cheating your neighbor and say, this is the blessing of God. You don't notice that the, that the store clerk gives you 20 extra dollars in your change and just say, oh, look at there. Here's the hand of God at work. That's stealing. That's an attitude that we see out of Abraham that we're going to have to follow. Now, immediately following that in chapter 15, God appears to Abraham again and says in verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. I love this verse of Scripture. Because God is saying, all right, that was me back before when I gave you the blessing, made you rich. I'm the one, obviously, that helps you and your 314 um, guys in your own house, your 314 service, defeat four enemy kings and bring back everything. I am your shield. I'm the protector. I'm the one that caused this. And then he says, I am your exceeding great reward. These words, if you look these words up in the Hebrew, they literally mean vehemently increasing payment. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but that shows me a little bit of God's attitude where the blessing that He promised is concerned. He says, Abraham, and now, now He's not saying I'm the one that made you rich. I'm the one that brought these kings' stuff into your hands because Abraham didn't keep the stuff. He didn't keep any of the stuff or any of the people. And he gives us a reason why, because he didn't want anybody saying that God made him rich. So after that, after all this stuff happens, then God appears again. And it's almost like every time something happened, God uh, appears or shows up to Abraham one more time and says, No, I'm bigger than that. Just about when Abraham seems to have it figured out, Oh, wow, God's with me. I can defeat four enemy kings because God's with me. And God shows up and says, No, I'm bigger than that. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but at least you see where I'm coming from on that, don't you? Chapter 17, God appears to Abraham again. Verse 1, when Abram was 90 years old and 9, now he's been walking with God for 24 years. He's seen God do lots of stuff. God has proven himself time after time. Now God appears to him when he's 99 years old. And the Lord says to Abraham, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. Almighty God is a great phrase, but in the, in the Hebrew, it literally means El Shaddai. It means the God that's more than enough. So once again, it's God showing up and saying, you thought you had me figured out, but I'm still bigger than that. I'm still bigger than that. Folks, I would submit to you that the church, the modern day church, at least the American church, does not look at God as the almighty God when it comes to earthly things. They might see him as the almighty God in heaven. But the modern day church does not see the almighty God as being almighty here on the earth. Because if he was almighty here on the earth, they wouldn't be making excuses for why stuff doesn't happen. Look with me over to Psalm 78. We know some things. We're going to fast forward to some things that happened with Israel and what God did for Israel. But the 78th Psalm kind of summarizes a few things that we'll talk about in a little bit of detail. We'll see how much. Let's start reading in verse uh, 12. It says, Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, talking about Israel, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand up as a heap. If you look up these words, it literally means he congealed the water in its place. I don't know if he froze the water or if he turned it into jello, I'm not sure what he did, but he made walls for him to walk between. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and at night with a light of fire. He clave or divided the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Now folks, this, uh, what is this verse? Uh, 15, where it says, gave them drink as out of the great depths. These words, one translation says, limitless waters. Another, The word depths literally means the abyss. It means you can't find the bottom. Now, what this is talking about, we know it's talking earlier about the Red Sea when Moses divided the Red Sea, stretching his rod forth. You remember the story. We've talked about it a lot. This situation is talking about when they came to a place in the wilderness where there was no water, and God called, told Moses, go stand up before the children of Israel, take the rod that you divided the Red Sea with, and strike the rock. The rock was a type of Jesus' it's typical, or it uh, illustrates his crucifixion, when he was smitten by God on the cross for mankind. And as a result, it says waters came out. Now, most estimates are in the two to six million people range coming out of Egypt. The most common estimate is two to three million. So we're going to use that as kind of a, as kind of a, a sample or a minimum. Some people will say, no, it wasn't that many because when David numbered or when uh, Moses numbered the children of Israel, there were only 660,000. Well, it doesn't say that there were 660,000. It says there were people that were of fighting age, people that could be armed for war, numbering 660,000 people. If we were trying to make an army out of the people here, you would recognize that wouldn't be the total number. It would just be the people that were young and strong and able to fight. That's what the Bible talks about is 660,000. Okay? So we're going to use, and, and there's no way to know. We really don't know for sure. But we're going to use two or three million people as an estimate for the, the number that came out of Egypt. How much water would it take for two or three million people? That would be interesting to discover... But it really doesn't matter because the Bible says they drank out of limitless waters. That's literally what it means. Limitless waters. Where did God get limitless, limitless waters? Well, it was, it was waters that came up from the earth. It were underground streams and stuff like that. Okay, that's fine. Isn't it good to know that God knew where those things could come out? See, some people try to minimize the miracles of God. It's like uh, the, the, when Moses went over, on, uh, went through the Red Sea, divided the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army came in after him and, and drowned in the waters. It's like one guy said, well, you know, that wasn't such a big miracle. He was a humanist, modernist-type preacher. He said, that wasn't such a big miracle. They just went over in ankle-deep water. Well, okay, that makes it a big miracle that Pharaoh's army would drown in ankle-deep water then. <laughs> And then you'll have some people with the the, the feeding of the five thousand, multiplying the loaves and the fishes. One, the, and it's always modernists. It's always people that are trying to minimize the miracles of God. Well, the loaves and fishes were bigger back then. <laughs> yeah. And what's amazing is one little boy would be carrying that for, for, around for his lunch. When God says to Abraham, "I'm Almighty God," He's saying, "I'm the God that's more than enough." Well, how much is enough? In God's estimation, enough must be a, must be a big, big number or big, big something. Because here it says He provided water not just enough for everybody to have a drink, not just enough for everybody to to be able to to quench their thirst so that they could get to the next place. God's not rationing anything out. He's giving them water out of limitless depths. Why? Because He's the God that's more than enough. Because they needed it. No. There was a lot more water than what they drank. They left water. One translation says they drank out of oceans of water. And we're trying to make deals for how much or how little we can ask God for. Uh, Lord, I don't need much. I, I, I don't want to be greedy. Just, you know, just give me enough to get by. That's not the God you serve. And you can't tell me that God's happy with our attitude about that. Join
0: Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: He said to pray that the will of God would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now we're talking about healing, so let's ask the question, what's the will of God concerning healing in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? Then Jesus is saying that they, the disciples, should pray that the will of God in every area, including healing and sickness, should be done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. That would mean, therefore, for the people of God that they be free from sickness because that's exactly the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. Foothill Family Church
0: is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive. Just minutes off the 5 freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikewebb.tv.
1: Okay, verse 17. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spoke against God. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I love this. Anytime you see Israel questioning and challenging God, God always shows himself strong. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh also for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. That means mad. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation. Though He had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corn of heaven. Man did eat the angels' food, and He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by His power He brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations, so that it eaten were filled, for he gave them their own desire. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. They're asking something with the wrong attitude, and God still met their need. See the devil's right there on our shoulders, saying, "If everything's not just exactly right—I mean, if you've got just the wrong, just the least little wrong bit of attitude—that's it. God's not going to do anything for you." Look at what God did to these people that were provoking Him. Now, don't get me wrong—I'm not saying these things for people to be greedy. The Bible tells us that our attitude toward money is of utmost importance, and and so. Don't worry about somebody taking this out of context. Uh, The devil is always talking to me about this kind of stuff. Well, but if you talk about this, then it's going to seem like it's too easy. It's going to seem like it's too big. And then you're going to have people get over into error and they're going to have the wrong attitudes. Listen, I've been in this long enough to figure out that people have wrong attitudes already. Me telling them God's small is not going to change their attitude for the better. Me telling people that God's just barely big enough to meet your needs, but only if you toe the line, that doesn't change anybody for the better. So don't worry about what anybody else is going to hear on this, okay? I'm not talking to the other guy that's going to go to extremes. I'm talking to you. I'm not concerned about people going to extremes on this stuff. Yeah, but but what if people take this and go off to extremes and try to believe God for crazy things? People are believing God for crazy things now. Folks, the fix is not to say that God is small. The fix is to show God for who He really is and let God work on His own children's attitudes. So turn with me back to Exodus chapter 16. Let's see some of this stuff. Let's talk about the manna. Let's talk about the quails for a little bit. Exodus chapter 16. This is where the children of Israel come out into the wilderness and, uh, there's nothing around for them to eat. I mean, they are literally in a desert place. There's nothing for them to eat. They, they don't know how they're going to survive. And God shows them through the, through the words of Moses and through demonstration, He shows them how He's going to provide for them. So He tells Moses what to tell the people. And, um, um, well, let's start reading in verse seven. It says, And in the morning, here's Moses talking, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you murmur against us? We meaning Moses and Aaron. And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Folks, I want you to understand, God's glory shows up time and time and time again where it comes to providing for his people. And the Bible says God doesn't change. So if that was the case in the Old Testament, why would it not be the case today? I believe that that has a lot to do with why Haggai chapter 2 talks about the silver and gold as the Lord's in connection with the glory of the latter house being greater than the former. Now, I know religion has separated the glory of God into some nefarious presence of God that we'll experience when we get to heaven. That's not, that's not what the Bible describes it as. So I'd rather stick with the Bible rather than well-meaning religious people. And the Lord spake unto Moses, verse 11, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, Speak unto them, saying, At evening you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that that at evening the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said unto one another, It is manna. Now, it is man that literally translates into, what is this? For they wist not or knew not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. Apparently, in this case, it means every man gathers for the household. Every man does, it must not mean every person; it means gather for the households, and the children of Israel did so, and gathered some, some more, and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, they gathered much he that gathered much has nothing left over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. The Bible's telling us that this omer which the best estimate you can find in in different things is uh, a a couple of quarts. But nobody knows for sure. And it's significant to me that nobody knows exactly how much it was. Because God is not saying go out and and gather up a specific amount. God is saying go gather it up and whatever it is will be enough for your family. If you gather more, that's what your family will eat for the day. If you gather less, your family will eat that much and, and be satisfied. This is very much a type of Jesus saying, give us this day our daily bread. How much is daily bread? I mean, does that literally mean the Lord feed me three times today? How much is daily bread? What do you need? I need more on some days than I need on other days. On bill paying days, I have big needs. Other days, not so much. The day after bill paying day, I don't need as much. So what is daily bread? Daily bread is whatever you need. Yeah, but what if it's too much? God's more than enough. We're pinching pennies and God creates the universe. We're saying, well, you know, we don't, don't want to be greedy. Folks, I'm going to say something and I know this could be taken out of context and people could take this really wrong, but I want to say something just to get your attention. I want to be greedy. I don't want to be greedy for me. I want to be greedy so that I can do more for the, things, the kingdom of God. And as far as God's concerned, that's not greedy. I'm not looking for what I can take away from God to use for myself. I'm looking for what I can get my hands on to use for the things of God. Tell me how that's greed. Tell me how that's greed. Lord, give me a thousand dollars extra, and I'll give a thousand dollars extra. Give me a million dollars extra, and I'll give a million dollars extra. How's that greed? Now I understand some people have the, have have stuff like this to deal with, and they struggle over this. But folks, I've given enough things up over my lifetime for the things of God already. That if we just add up from when I started to where I am now, I could use everything else for myself and still not find greedy. But the devil's right there telling you, isn't he? Oh, you you shouldn't want that. Why? I'm not worried about bankrupting God. (laughs) He's got gold streets. What are we worried about? Why do we refuse to think in line with what God says? Why do we refuse to think in line with abundance? In most cases, our idea of abundance is just everything that we need and then a little bit left over. Folks, that's not abundance. That's a little bit left over. Is that who we serve? If so, why did he identify himself as the God that's more than enough? Why didn't he identify himself as the God that leaves a little bit left over? I'm serious. Now, I know people don't talk like this, and I know that people get criticized when they do get talked like this, and that's fine. I've been criticized by experts. I'm not worried about that. I'm only concerned about what does the Bible say. That's the only concern I have. So God seems to be doing something with his omer, meaning he'll make sure you have enough, whether it looks like a little bit or it looks like a lot. Now, here, the manna lasts for 40 years. The manna lasts for 40 years. When they travel, manna travels with them. And it lasts until they get into the promised land and start eating of the corn of the promised land. And then the manna stops. He's the God that's more than enough. God is bigger than you or I or anybody else could ever imagine. And He wants to do more for us than what we want to be done. He just wants to make sure that our heart's in the right place. But He never says no to providing good things in your life. I want to challenge you. Dare to believe the Bible is true and God's provision is real. Thanks so much for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You know the reason, one of the main reasons why we won't forgive other people? Because we're afraid they won't get what's coming to them. So what does that tell us about the love that we're supposed to walk in, the forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in? It's supposed to be a total forgiveness so that we're not looking for anybody to get theirs anymore. Now that can be tough. It's one thing to say, the love of God has filled my heart. And therefore, Father, I pray for my enemies, knowing full well that you will pour out the wrath of heaven upon them. But perfect love isn't looking for somebody to get theirs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't deny that I've been done wrong, but it just says I'm not looking for them to get theirs because of it.
0: Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word